Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Lord, I thank you again for who you are and what you do for each and every one of us. What an honor and a blessing it is to be a part of a family that is so loving, so receptive. Lord, I thank you for the fact that we have a worship team that would let us in a beautiful, joyful song to your name. I pray now as we open up your word and that we prepare ourselves for what it is that you have for each and every one of us. I pray that you soften our hearts to what it is that you want us to take in. I pray that you open our minds that, so that we are receptive to the words that you have for us. And Lord, I pray that you speak through me. I pray that any word that is going to flow from my mouth that is not from you, Lord, that you strike it from my lips. I pray that you be with us this morning. Prepare our hearts and our minds for what we're about to take in. In your name, amen. All right, so when I was 23 years old, a group of friends and myself decided to go floating down the King's River. If any of you have ever done this before, you know it's not as peachy king as some people want to make it seem. Well, my friends and I thought it was going to be all fun and games, so we decided to do this on a Friday afternoon while we were all hanging out. So then we packed our cars up Sunday, or sorry, Saturday morning, packed it all up, got everything ready to go, drove down the 180 to the turnoff right before Minkler, climbed, uh, pumped up our, our mat, not our mattresses, our, what do we call them, our tubes, threw him in the water, and then down the King's River we were going. Oh, it was fantastic. The first 20 minutes, it was sunny, it was beautiful. You know, you're on the open, not the open water, but you're on the river, just enjoying, taking it all in until one of the tubes sprung a leak. We're like, okay, so we get off to the side, there's a little rocky bank, we, we take out the air pump, and we start pumping it up, right? You know, we're kind of talking about how excited we are for, for the rest of the day until we realize that the last group of two hadn't caught up to us. Well, they weren't getting in the water that far behind us, so we were like, what's going on? So we yell up the river. They're not responding back. We notice that there's some bottles of water and soda cans and chip bags floating down the river, and we're like, okay, is this just an ironic situation, or did they capsize? Well, sure enough, we see a cell phone in a waterproof case floating down, and so we grab the cell phone, and we realize it's Jessica's cell phone, who was one of the girls in the raft that was in the back of the group. So now a little bit of panic sets in, right? We're like, okay, well, where are they? We have all of their stuff that's floated down the river. Well, we don't see their raft. We don't see them. And we don't see their dog because they decided to bring their dog. Well, they must be okay. So we pile into our rafts and we keep floating. Another 10 minutes go by. We're having a great time. Well, that is until we go around a bank and the current takes us right into this tree that's growing over into the water. So it's almost like a mangrove in the water now at this point. Well, we all know, well, most of us know, that water is a whole lot stronger than we think it is. So it's pulling us in, and we're, you know, the, the front one is trying to paddle away from the tree. They hit the tree, and they get sucked underneath it. And when they get sucked underneath it, they pop up the other side, tree branches and leaves all over their face, you know, a little bewildered by what just happened, and their raft is completely destroyed. So now the raft in front of us and our raft is going, oh, goodness, that's going to be us. Well, the second raft hits the tree, they get sucked under, and when they pop up, it's kind of the same thing, but the raft's still intact, but the girl's screaming. Now, this isn't a, oh my gosh, that was so scary, what just happened? No, this was a, ah, I'm dying, I'm screaming bloody murder, if for lack of a better term, she was freaking out. So now the girl that I'm in the raft with is now freaking out, right? Because she's like, oh my gosh, this girl is dying, I don't want this to happen to me. And so I'm, I'm trying to paddle us away. It's not working. I know it's inevitable. So when we get to it, I know I need to try to help this girl to the best of my ability because we're not going to be able to swim back up river to get to her. 
So when we get sucked underneath, I grab onto a couple tree branches in the tree, and so when we pop up the other side, I'm inside the tree with her. So I'm trying to communicate with her what's going on. She's too hysterical to communicate back to me. Well, I end up looking under the water, and her leg is scissored in between two tree branches. So she's basically getting severely pinched by the tree branch. So I use my brutish strength, and I spread the tree branches apart. I pull her away because I'm a hero to safety. And then we get to the bank, of water, the bank that everyone else is at. Everyone now has to collect themselves because we come to the realization we have no way of communicating with anybody. Realistically, outside of ourselves, nobody knows we're here. And we have no water, so we need to keep moving. So what we do is we pile the three girls onto the one raft that's still functioning. We have another one that's slowly deflating, and we put our stuff, the few things that we still have left, onto that raft. And then us guys, because we're so intelligent, hang off of the raft that the girls are on. We're going for about five, six more minutes, and then I see rapids. Now, again, these aren't category four or five rapids that you go whitewater rafting down, but when you're in a, a raft from Tarjay that's meant for a pool, it looks really scary. And so I'm like, okay, this is bad. Right as I realize this, the air pump that we had falls off the front of the raft, and the girls panic to go get it, which then sends everything else off of the raft, which then sends everything out of control. So now I, I realize that the girl, the, the front one, is at the pump way in front of everyone floating towards the rapids, and she's not a strong swimmer. So me, I panic because I'm a hero, and I swim towards her. No, I'm, I was dumb. But either way, I swim towards her, and I get to her. And I noticed that there's a tree that had fallen over, and the water was hitting it and then breaking around the tree. And right where it was breaking about, uh, around it, where the roots were, it's creating a vortex, where if you hit that and you get sucked into it, it's game over. You're just sucked underneath there, and you're not getting out. So when, I, when we hit the tree, I grab onto the roots of the tree, and I spin her off the side, but as I'm doing that, the second girl hits the roots and gets sucked underneath it. And so now I'm panicking. I'm realizing she's going to die. This is all bad. So I do the only thing I figured I could do was reach down into there and try to grab a hold of her. And by the grace of God, she reached and grabbed my hand. I don't know how she did it. And I grabbed hers and somehow was able to pull her out of it and spin her off the side. The other three people got to me, helped me off the tree, and we ended up on a bank we had one guy in the corner, like, shaking and crying. It was just, it was all bad. Thankfully, a group of people in canoes and life jackets got to us, and they probably saw the bewilderment on our faces going, these people are in bad trouble. So they piled us onto the canoes. They got us to safety. See, the thing is, what we failed to do in this situation, why it went so haywire and bad for us is because we failed to make time for what was most important. We failed to set aside time for our safety. We went, let's go have fun. Let's have a great time floating down the river. But we failed to say, you know what? We should probably be safe in the process of this. We should bring life jackets. Why? Because if we do fall off of our rafts and something occurs, we have a, we're able to float and we don't drown. The second thing is we should have probably gotten rafts from somewhere other than Target. And they shouldn't have been pool rafts. They should have been legitimate rafts. It, let's just be honest there because they all were destroyed by the end of the trip. And the final thing is we would have known and understood that the river just was not safe enough, safe enough for us to go floating down. Because if we would have looked at the water, we would have looked at the level and the current and everything, we would have known it's moving too quickly, it's too high, we shouldn't get in. How often do we do this in our life where we fail to make time for what is most important? Not just with floating down the King's River, but we have a lot going on, right? We have family, we have friends, we have television, 
We have work, we have more work, and then we have work on top of more work. We have so much going on. And we fail to make time for two of the most important things. And the author of Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, really hits us with this. And these two things that we at times fail to really give it at our all is one, our time in Christ's teachings. We fail to make time for his teaching. And yeah, sometimes we sit down and we read the word just to check the box off. Sometimes we fail to do it for weeks on end. And then we also fail to make time to really acknowledge the salvation that we have been given for all that it is. We see it as, yeah, I get to go to heaven, but do we really sit down and process through what a blessed gift this is? Because I have to be honest with you all, when I was processing through this sermon and I was working this out, when I got to this point, I was convicted because I sat there and I went, I don't remember the last time I really processed through my salvation to the level of what the author of Hebrews tries to get me to understand. So to really grasp what's going on here in chapter 2, what we're about to read, we have to understand what's going on in chapter 1 because, again, the author starts the letter for a reason with what he starts it with, which is a proclamation about who Jesus is. Chapter 1 is all about Jesus is the Son of God. He sits at the right hand of our Holy Father, He is elevated above the angels. He is above all of creation, and that all of creation was created through him. He is exactly who he said he was through his three years of ministry, and he's exactly who who we are proclaiming him to be. We have to understand that to really understand the weight of what the author is saying in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, because it carries so much more. Let's read Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. That's a lot to take in right there, especially when we have understood what's going on in chapter 1. It carries a lot of weight with it. It's meaty. And so we're going to break this down verse by verse to see exactly what the author of Hebrews is trying to get across, not only to us, but of course to his, his original audience. So Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, again, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. The author is giving us a command along with a warning. That's a big deal. We should pay attention when an author in in the Bible gives us a command along with a warning, right? He is saying we must pay more careful attention to what we have heard. What is he trying to draw us to? Well, he just spent a whole chapter prior to this proclaiming who Christ was and who Christ is, which then should take our attention to what? The teachings of Christ. So what he is saying here is we must pay more close attention to the teachings of Christ. And why is that? Because if we fail to do so, we will drift away. 
There is a reason why as we read the word, we are constantly reminded from the beginning of the Bible to the end the, how essential it is to rest in the presence of God and how important it is to spend time in the scripture And this isn't just a checking the box in it. This is a meditating on it. This is a slow read, seeing exactly what the Spirit has for us from what is going on within it. And why is that? Because if we fail to do so, we slip from where God desires us to be. I know for me, when I find myself not spending time in the Scripture, not spending time in His Word enough, it seems a whole lot easier for me to make the mistakes that God is calling me not to make. Why? Because I'm not dialed in with the teachings of Christ. God fully understands and knows the temptations that we deal with. He knows that we live in a broken world. He is not somehow absent-minded from that. Jesus came and lived 33 years as as one of us, went through the same temptations that we deal with. He gets it. Hence why it is constantly proclaimed that we need to spend time in his presence because he knows if we fail to do so, choosing that narrow pathway becomes all that more difficult and choosing the wide one is that much easier. Our careful and undivided attention to the words and actions of Christ keeps us on the narrow pathway. Hebrews 2, 2 through 3 For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. We have done two things, and because of that, we deserve one. Each and every one of us in here has violated God and disobeyed his commands. He has told us, if you do these things, you will be in a right relationship with me. And if you keep from doing these things, you will be in a right relationship with me. It's pretty black and white. He lays it out for us. But we have this problem where we tend to do what we should not do and do not do what we should do. We, we tend to fall into that trap. And because of that, we deserve his just punishment, which is eternity separated from God. But what do we see here? These violations in in our disobedience have received their just punishment. And what is that just punishment? It's Christ going to the cross, giving himself up, a sinless man, paying the price for a bunch of sinners. That is the just punishment. Christ took it all on in one moment, took on every sin that you and I will ever commit, every sin that we have ever committed. Why? Because we have a God that loves us. We have a God that's full of mercy. We have a God that so desperately wants us in his presence, so desperately wants us to be in right relationship with him, that he came, lived as his creation, proclaimed for three years how we are to now get in a right relationship with him, went to the cross, conquered death, and ascended back into heaven. So instead of eternity separated from God, we are blessed with salvation through the blood of Christ, and now we have eternity in the presence of 
God. My first car was a 1989 Corolla, not a cool car. Um, Not cool by any stretch of the imagination, but like any adult, now that I'm 30, I get it, like any adult, it was very practical. I'm a 16-year-old, I'm not responsible, and like most 16-year-olds, you crash the car, you jack it up, so it was actually a really great car for a 16-year-old, and it got me from point A to point B perfectly. I never had any car trouble with it. It was a fantastic car for that reason, but I hated it because it wasn't cool. And so I begged and begged and begged and begged my dad for a new car. And finally, when I graduated from high school, to kind of give me a gift and say, you know what, son, I want you to have this simply because I love you. He took me to a car lot and let me pick out a car, and I got this sweet red two-door sports car. Like, it was awesome. Well, I drove it like no tomorrow for about eight, nine, ten months, and then I started to see this car not for what it was anymore. I actually, you know how you get that new car and it loses its glitter and its glam after a couple months? Yeah, that's what happened here, but the thing is I didn't pay for it, and so I really lost sight of what this car was. And so what did I do? I took it to a car lot, even though my dad prodded and told me, don't do it, don't do it, do it. I said, I don't want it anymore. Took it to a car lot, traded it in for far less than it was worth, and then I got a lame Chevy Cobalt with no bells and whistles, nothing. For years, I regretted making this decision. For years, I went, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? I remember two days after doing it, I was like, what a dumb decision. The thing is, why did I do that? It's because of my inability to identify the blessing that the car was to me. I had to do nothing for this car, literally nothing. I just had to simply ask my father, and he gave it to me. It was a gift. He went, you know what, Jason? I love you. I care about you. You are my son, and simply because of that, I'm gifting this to you. And because I failed to identify it for that, and instead of seeing it as a gift, I saw it as a burden, and I saw it as something that it was not anymore, I got rid of it. How often do we do this with our salvation, that we fail to see it for what it truly is? We see it as a ticket that we punch when we pray the prayer, and then we slip it in our back pocket, and then we go about our life just simply reminding ourselves off and on, oh yeah, that's right, I'm going to heaven, that's right, I'm going to heaven. But we fail to see it for all of its power. Just as the author is saying here, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation as if he is yelling at us, look at this salvation you have through Christ. Look at it. You do not deserve it, yet you have it. What an amazing and perfect gift our salvation is. Hebrews 2, 4. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Understanding the teachings of Christ and blessings from Christ is so crucial that God even gives us visual evidence to go off of. Again, he's, the, the author states it right there, right? Right prior in chapter uh, verse 3, this salvation which was first announced by Christ, Lord, was, was confirmed to us by those who heard him his followers during his three years of teaching, and then also, of course, his disciples. But what we see here is God is going, I want you so desperately, so, ah, I want you to get this so much, that I'm going to go a step further, and I'm going to give you signs, wonders, and miracles that my son is going to perform during his three years of ministry work, 
And I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit when my son ascends into heaven. I'm going to give you that where each and every one of you will have spiritual giftings. That will be proof that my son was exactly who he said he was. And that salvation that you've been gifted, it's legit. So let's just put our imagination caps on right now. Okay, so I'm putting mine on. My imagination cap is on. I'm ready. I'm locked and loaded. Let's say the day that the World Series started, you guys lost contact with society. You were in a scientific study to see how people, a group of people could handle living outside of society. So you had no internet, you had no television, nothing. I am now tasked with the job to tell you what happened in the World Series. It's my job to tell you what occurred. What also needs to be understood is I'm a huge Red Sox fan, massive Red Sox fan. I, I don't want to go into detail about why I became a Red Sox fan. It's too much too much time for too little time, but I'm a huge fan. What I'm about to tell you is the Red Sox beat the Dodgers four games to one in the World Series. See, now the thing is, you can refute that. Again, we have our imagination caps on, right? So you can refute that. You probably would refute it for one of two reasons. One reason that you would refute it is because I'm a fan of the Red Sox. You're a fan of a different team, or maybe you're not a fan at all, but you're going to say he's a fan of the Red Sox, so of course he's going to tell us that the Red Sox won. This is probably not legit. The second reason that you would most likely refute me is, I just don't trust you, Jason. I don't know you well enough. We've never talked before. I've maybe This is the first time I've even seen your face. So yeah, I just can't take you at your word, Jason. Again, totally understandable. Well, the beautiful thing is, I got a video for you all to help you again with the imagination caps to know that what I'm saying is legit. tonight and the best team in baseball wins it all in 2018 see the thing is you can't refute that again imagination caps are off I'm sorry Dodger fans I know that was like it's like you're like you're like convulsing because you're having to see it again but you can't refute that, right? You might sit there and go, oh, they're actors, they reenacted it. But those of us that know baseball can all agree that was Chris Sale pitching and that was Manny Machado that swung, a, struck out to his knees. We can all agree on that. So with that, you can't refute it. And on top of not being, being able to refute it, now it solidifies my words. Now my words carry all the more weight. There's now visual evidence attached to what I told you. See, the thing is, God understands and understood that we are filled with pride, that we are filled with arrogance, and that we are ignorant beyond all belief at times. And so because of that, what God did is he went a step further. He went the extra mile. He said, you know what? I love you so much. I care so deeply about you. I want you so, I want you to understand exactly what I am saying and what my son is proclaiming that I'm going to have my son perform signs, miracles, and wonders that will blow everyone's mind. And what it does is it now cements his words, and you cannot refute what Christ has to say. Again, Christ's words were absolutely enough. We could absolutely stand on what Christ proclaimed. 
There's a reason why so many people followed his teachings during his three years. But it's all the more powerful when he does his miracles, when he performs his signs, and he does his wonders. And it's all the more powerful today. We can proclaim Christ's name. We can do those things. But the reality is we have the power of the Holy Spirit living within each and every one of us that provides a spiritual gifting to each and every one of you that is unique to you alone. And it is through you using that spiritual gifting that you perform signs, wonders, and miracles. So how now do we apply what the author of Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 is saying? How now do we check, say, this is how I'm going to download this into my life? We have to answer three questions. The first is, how do we keep ourselves focused on Christ's words? How do we keep ourselves in tune with the teachings of Christ? What we got to do is we remember to set aside time daily for Christ because we must pay careful attention to his words. This seems really like a dumb moment, right? Okay, I've heard that a hundred times, Jason. Yeah, you're clearly 30 years young. You don't know what you're... No. But how often do we hear this, yet we find ourselves not actually spending time in Christ's teachings? There's a reason why we need to be reminded of this so often through Scripture. It's because we have a lot vying for our attention. If you go outside of just your kids, those of you that have children, those of you that are married, your significant other. We have jobs that vie for our attention. We have Netflix. Man, that takes up a lot of our attention, right? We got sports. We got activities. We got all kinds of stuff. We got cell phones that buzz. Now we have watches that buzz. We got things that are grabbing a hold of us, trying to take us away from our time with Christ. And the thing is, every one of these things fails in comparison to God, fails in comparison to our time with Christ. There are two things we can do on a daily basis to ensure we spend time in Christ, with Christ's teachings daily. One, he is the first continual and last part of everything throughout your day. This is going to look very different for each and every one of you. You all have different personalities and you all have different spiritual giftings. I could sit here and say you need to pray for an hour in the morning, pray for an hour in the afternoon, and pray for an hour in the evening. Now, there's some of you that are going, that sounds brutally, like, mind-numbing to me. I don't want to do that. It does not sound like fun. Some, that is because your personality is different than mine. That is also because your spiritual gifting is different. But what we need to understand is that God, our time with him, our time in the word, our time in the presence of the Spirit it needs to start at the beginning of the day, continue through the middle, and be at the very end. The second thing we got to do is when you plan your day and look at your schedule, time with God should always be placed first. Again, we're busy. We got a lot going on. But when we look at our schedule, no matter how much of a schedule you are or are not, you got to say, God, you're getting this time slot in a discussion. Outside of an emergency, nothing's taking that. The first thing I'm placing in my day is you. End of discussion. The second question we have to ask based on what the author is teaching us here. In what ways can we remember our salvation and all of its greatness? Again, the author spends three verses of a very heavy portion of scripture talking about the salvation and the power of what it is and how amazing it is. 
So how do we remember our salvation and all of its greatness? This is what we do. At the end of your day, think about all of the sins that you committed. Now, this is not a shameful way. Now, I'm not saying you come home, you, you, you cook dinner, and then you go in the bathroom and you take a belt and you whip yourself every time you think of a sin. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is this should be a thankful way of looking at it. Because again, we have proclamations in Scripture that say when you lay your life at the foot of the cross and you commit yourself over to Christ and you proclaim him as your Lord and Savior, what occurs? Your sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. Every sin that you have committed, every sin that you will commit, is, they're gone. So when you sit down at the end of the day and you do, take this inventory, this is not a, oh, shame on me. This is a, Lord, thank you. I do not deserve what you have given to me. In just a minor 24-hour period of time, I have failed more times than I can count on two hands. And yet you have cast these sins and every sin I committed prior to this and every sin I'm going to commit tomorrow as far as the east is from the west. Thank you, Lord. Our salvation moves from, wow, that's good. It's a ticket that I punched and now I slipped it in my back pocket and I'm gonna show it to Jesus when I enter into the kingdom of heaven. It moves from that to a, a gift that you wanna share with the world. A gift that you did not earn, a gift that you do not deserve but instead it becomes a gift that is just simply because we have a God that loves us and so deeply desires for us to be in a right relationship with him. The final question we have to ask, how do these things benefit God's kingdom? How does getting in tune with Christ's teachings and how does getting in tune with the blessed salvation that we have been given, how do those two things benefit God's kingdom? Because again, all that we do from the moment we wake to the moment we go to sleep should be for the glory of God's kingdom. And if it is not, we need to stop doing it. So how do these two things benefit his kingdom? Because if they do not benefit his kingdom, there's no reason in doing them. The answer here is the more in tune we are with Christ's teachings and the more in tune we are with how wonderful our salvation is, the more motivated we are to reach Christ's lost sheep. If we forget the amazingness of our salvation and or if we drift from the teachings of Christ, reaching the lost seems trivial and mind-numbing at best. Why in the world would I step out of my comfort bubble and share Christ with other people if I'm not in tune with his teachings that command me to reach the lost? I wouldn't because I'm not in tune with his teachings. If I'm not in tune with the salvation that I have been gifted in the blessing that it is to my life, and I simply see it as a ticket that I punch when I prayed the magical prayer, and I slip it into my pocket, why in the world would I go and share that with anybody? I wouldn't, because it's my personal possession that I earned by praying the prayer. See, the thing is, when we are in tune with Christ's teachings, a few things happen. One, we become a bright light in a very dark world. When we are in tune with Christ's teachings, we become the lamp on the hill that Christ talks about. We become the salt that does not lose its saltiness. And the second thing that occurs is we cannot help but treat everyone the same as Christ would treat them. We start to see the world as the up -down, upside down kingdom that Christ proclaims. Instead of asking for our feet to be washed, we wash others' feet. Instead of trying to be served, we serve others. Instead of trying to take, we constantly give. The more in tune we are with Christ's teachings, 
the more we become a light in a dark world that people go, I want what you got. What's going on? There's something different about you. Man, you serve before being served. You never take before giving. What's so different about you? Which then leads to when we are in tune with the blessing that our salvation is, something powerful happens. We become overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit and convicted to see as many people receive the same salvation that we have been given. We no longer see it as a ticket that's been punched. We begin to see it as a gift from God that we do not, did not earn and do not deserve and we're compelled by the power of the Holy Spirit to reach the lost and go, you know what? You know how you're talking to me about why I'm different? It's because of what I have. I have a relationship with my creator. I have a relationship with my Lord. And he has gifted me something that I cannot give to you, but he can. You know that empty hole in your heart that nothing else can fill? He can give that to you. And it's because the salvation that I have been gifted that I did not earn. That is why I'm different. That is why I am a lamp on a hill. That's why I am salt that has not lost my saltiness. The more in tune we are with Christ's teachings, and the more in tune we are with the blessing that our salvation is, the more convicted we are to reach the lost. Will you pray with me? Lord, with every eye closed and every head bowed, Again, we just spent most of our time here talking about who Christ was and that the importance and the value of spending time in his teaching, Lord, and, and how valuable that is. And then we talked about the salvation that we are gifted by the blood of Christ and that the only way to receive this salvation, the only way to fill that hole in our heart that nothing else in this world can fill is by committing our life over to you and saying, Lord, you are in charge of my life. We can chase after the things of the world. We can run after what society tells us will fill us, but it will always leave us empty in the end. Lord, if there's anyone in here that's hearing this and going, man, I'm feeling something funny. I want that. I want what they have. What makes them different, that put, makes them a lamp on a hill, what, what makes them not lose their saltiness. I want that. I need the hole in my heart to be filled. If there's anyone in here that wants to give their life over to Christ, you say, you know what, today's the day. I've been saying no for a number of years. I've been saying no for a number of whatever. Today's the day. I'm gonna say yes, I'm gonna give my life to Christ. If that's you, you can just raise your hand right now. High enough for any of us to see. Again, all eyes are closed, all heads are bowed. You're saying, I want to take that next step. I want to commit myself to him. Put your hand up real quickly. Okay. Lord, I thank you for who you are and what you do. I thank you for the teachings in Hebrews, the reminder of how important it is to make time for the most important things in our life, which is our time in your, in, in your son's teachings, really downloading those into our life and saying, you know what, Christ, your teachings, they will change me. I want to become that lamp in a dark world. I want to become a, the salt that does not lose its saltiness. May we take time daily 
to remember the salvation that you have gifted to us, something that we did not earn, but you freely gave to us, Lord. May we thank you for that. Lord, be with each and every one of us this morning.